Welcome to Banking on KC. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. For this episode, we thought we'd capture the spirit of the NFL playoff season by talking with former Kansas City Chiefs kicker, Jan Stenerud. Jan played football for 19 seasons, and he was selected to the Pro Bowl six times, six All-League. He played in Super Bowl four, and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1991 as the first dedicated kicker to be named with that recognition. Now, many of our listeners may not know this, but he was also a country club bank associate from 1968 to 1976 while he was a Kansas City Chief. And he was inducted to the 100 All-Team in 2020 and was recognized at the Super Bowl that year. Welcome, Jan. Good morning. Nice to talk to you, Kelly. You have a very interesting history with the Chiefs because you played football at some really pivotal times. You were signed by the Chiefs after the first Super Bowl, and you played in Super Bowl four, and you kicked three field goals, as I recall, in that game. Well, actually, I went to school at Montana State. I was recruited from Norway to be on the ski team up at Bozeman, Montana. Then my senior year, a lot of soccer background, so I tried taking the football. And I ended up making the football team, and I kicked a 59-yard field goal in college. And at that time, uh, it took us about a week to find out. But that was the longest kick in pro football as well as collegiate football. And at the end of the season, after one year on the football team, I was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs uh, as a future draft choice, we call it. If you were on two sports, I had one year left of uh, eligibility on the ski team. Stayed in school one more full quarter to hopefully get drafted by the NFL, which I did. It was the Atlanta Falcons, but I, I liked Lamar Hunt. I liked Hank Stram. I liked everything about the Chiefs. So that's where I wanted to go, although the AFL was not quite on parity with the NFL in those days. But, but anyway, I ended up signing a contract with the Chiefs in December of 1966. That was approximately one month before Super Bowl one. So but I met my rookie year wasn't until the next year. And of course, I came to Kansas City exactly at the right time. The town was just about as excited about football as they are today because the Chiefs was AFL champs. They played in the first Super Bowl and they had high expectations. And actually my very first game in Kansas City was against the NFL team, the Chicago Bears, and that was the second time the Chiefs had ever played against the NFL teams after what was the first game after the loss to the Packers in Super Bowl One, And we scored 66 points, I remember, at Municipal Stadium. They won 66 to 24. That was an exhibition game. But that was my introduction to the fans of Kansas City, and it was for a young man from Norway with very little experience in football, it was a really a thrill. And the fans were so supportive. It was so exciting. And now again, after you know the last two or three years, it's the same thing. Maybe it'd be hard for the young people to understand that the town was that excited 50 years ago, but the fans were phenomenal then also. Oh, yes, I remember that. My sisters and I were young girls at the time, but we watched you, we watched Lynn Dawson, and we were on fire you know, about the Chiefs as well. So that excitement, you know, it's still here. Uh, tell us about some of your favorite memories of your playing days. Well, gosh, you know, uh, over the years, but after 19 years, you would think there were a few. And of course, for me, the most exciting was definitely Super Bowl Four. It had to be. Uh, and that's really the first time I think I was at trouble sleeping the night before the game. Even then, that was actually the 
the second time that game was called the Super Bowl. The Packers won the first two Super Bowls, and they were then called the World Championship of Professional Football. And, of course, Super Bowl three was famous because Joe Namath, the big star, not only for the New York Jets, but also for the entire AFL, had kind of promised or guaranteed that they would beat the Baltimore Colts, which was six, 17 or 18 points favorites. And the Jets won 16 to 7. Of course, the next year is the last true game between the two leagues, Super Bowl four. And we played the Minnesota Vikings, a great team from the NFL. They were 13 to 14 points on the dogs. But we beat them 23 to 7. And that even the series between the NFL and the AFL to two and two before the merger. But just being in Kansas City and, and playing in the old stadium and then also moving into Arrowhead, it was a huge, huge thrill. And I remember playing the Raiders there in 1972. They, they moved, moved into Arrowhead in 72 and they allowed standing room only the first year or so. And in that game, of course, the stadium seated about 77,000 people. And in that game, there were over 80,000 at that game. And I remember we beat them 16 to 7. A lot of fun thing. And Hank was so much fun to play for. And also the players, like you mentioned Len Dawson before. But Mike Garrett was, of course, the great running back for us. He's the one that scored on that 65,000 power trap in the Super Bowl when Hank was talking about matriculating the ball down the field, etc. But people like, you know, Jerry Mays, Buck Buchanan, Bobby Bell, Johnny Robinson, oh guy, Ed Buddy, Jim Tyrer, Fred Arbanis, the list goes on and on. It was, it was really exciting. The Hunt family and all the others involved really changed the course of football with the Super Bowl and the merging of the AFL and the NFL. How do you think the introduction of the Super Bowl and that whole structural change changed the sport of football? Of course, Lamar Hunt had tried to buy an NFL team for a long time, and he wasn't able to do it. For some reason, they didn't want him to, to buy it. He was 25, 26 years old, and he found seven other people that could have a franchise. We had you know, actually the first year, the Los Angeles Chargers now, they actually were the LA Chargers in 1960, and then they moved to San Diego, became the Chargers. The New York Jets was owned by a guy called Harry Wismer, and actually the Chargers were owned by the Hilton family early on. And the New York team just was called the Titans the first year or two. But you had a people in Buffalo that was uh, Ralph Wilson was the owner, was the Sullivan was the owner of the Patriots, Adams, Bud Adams was the owner of the Houston Oilers, the Raiders for several people, including Al Davis. You know, there were eight teams, and of course Lamar is the one that came up with the name Super Bowl because one of his kids was bouncing this ball around. And they found out that was called a Super Bowl or whatever. It was spelled a little bit different there. So, well, yeah, it was B-A-L, obviously, instead of bowl. But when he suggested that name to the commissioner, Peter Russell, they didn't think much of that. But to talk about even the interest in football, in 1960, after the 69 season, when we did play Super Bowl four, there were about 225 million people in America and 70 million watched the Super Bowl on TV. So that was... You know, that was about one-third of the population. So now we have 330 million people, maybe 340. And, of course, they could say that over 100, 100 million watched the game. So percentage-wise, they were the television audience, believe it or not, about the same as it is now. So it was big time. I can remember growing up in Norway, my dad was talking about, you know, skiing from 20, 30, 40 years earlier. And I had a hard time really 
paying attention to that and listening to it and didn't really think much of it. And when I talk now about the way it was 50, 60 years ago, people may not realize and think that that's the way it was and how big it really was. And that was a huge win, of course, for Kansas City. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Kansas City is a football town. I mentioned that you were a country club bank associate during your playing days and heavy emphasis on the word during. I just think that that is kind of unheard of these days that while you're playing football, that you also have another job. (laughs) There were several reasons for that. First of all, we didn't make the money that I make today, although I have to say this, we did okay. We, I felt that was quite well off when I was that age because still the football salary was several times higher than some of the people I graduated with from college right away. But we certainly did not make enough money so we could live on that for a long time after football. A lot of us got associated or worked for just to build a career or learn something and do something and get something started when football days were over. And of course, you had no idea how long that was going to last. Nothing was guaranteed. I always felt like my job was on the line uh, for 19 years. If I had two bad games in a row, you might be in the unemployment line. So you never knew. I didn't know if I was going to make the team when I got here. I didn't know for sure if I was going to make it through the first year. And even in my third, fourth, fifth, 10th, 15th, 19th year, you don't know for sure. Of course, by that time, you know, it's near the end when you're well over 40, but in addition to just working because we want to build something that could be fall back on after football, it was always a very uncertain. You have no idea how long your career was going to last. So that was very common. And a lot of the people did very well. And one of the guys that I think of in particular, Fred Arbanis, who became a county legislator, and he was just a wonderful guy, did so many things. And uh, of course, Lenny became a sportscaster. And the story I was told is that it was Jack Stedman, who was the president of the Kansas City Chiefs. So when they came to Kansas City, Jack approached one of the television stations, and I think it was the ABC, the, the channel that Lenny worked for the whole time. And when they asked Jack, well, who's going to be the sportscaster? We don't need a sportscaster. And he said, well, I'm a quarterback, Len Dawson. And I asked him if he had any experience. And he said, no, but he's been interviewed, so he's going to be okay. And that's how we got the job. And, of course, Lenny did that for a long, long time. In addition to have a radio show, and even people like me who speak for an accent, I was hired in addition to Country Club Bank. And I, after my rookie year, I actually I was in the Army Reserve, and I had to, with the National Guard, I had to go to Fort Polk, Louisiana for five months right after my rookie year. And then the next offseason, I had to start working at Country Club Bank. And I remember clearly, of course, the only address we had then was 414 Nichols Road. And the board of directors were a lot of the, lot of the top businessmen in Kansas City. And my job was, uh, you know, business development, but it was basically a door opener. I would knock on the door on just about every business on the plaza. And, of course, because of the chief success, it was pretty easy for me to get in the door and have a chance to tell them that if they ever needed, we could help them in the banking business. We had Country Club Bank. In addition to that, we also had lunches, I remember, in a boardroom down on the 414 Nichols Road. So about once a month, we invited a potential client, and then we had a board member and some of the people in the bank, and we, we just talked and visited. And so that was my job. But I did that. I did it every day in the, in the off-season for seven to eight years, and even during the season sometimes. I would go in because on, let's say on Friday, we would just go to practice at 9 o'clock in the morning, light practice and we were out of there before noon 
And even during the week, we met the practice at one or two o'clock in the afternoon. We're out there by five. Now, of course, the, the players, they go to, I think they have breakfast or they lift weights maybe before breakfast. Not so much during the season. They lift some, but not as heavily as the off season. But they're in there all day long. They have three good meals. They have a lot of they have computers in the locker. And the, the place looks a little bit different. We just had a little practice field with the soccer complex. It's now on the East Traffic Way, which is 63rd Street. Yeah, they're eating and breathing and, and just living football 24-7, especially during the season. And yeah, that's progress, I guess it is. But it is different. It is different. But we also, we were professionals and we felt like we practiced and, and uh, that football was going on in our mind, it seemed like all the every waking hour. But it has it's changed quite a bit in the preparations. And, the, and I think Hank also was the first one to have camps, uh, what do we call them again, in, in the spring. That started in the early 70s. So we had that we could get together, I think it was twice, maybe in April and May for two or three days. And uh, it was preseason camps. And he was the first one to do that as well. And he did a lot of things that was part of the evolution of how you approach football and how you approach the Sunday, every Sunday. And he was a unique man. And uh, I do want to say that the people that maybe looked up the word matriculate, that's not, had nothing to do with moving the football down the field. I think it has more to do with enrolling in, a, in college or, or an educational facility. Right. <laughs> but that word is used more. Uh, than ever before because of Hank, of course, on that Super Bowl highlights that they show so many times on television. And and also what I heard was that Bud Grant, the coach of the Minnesota Vikings, was actually asked first by Steve Sables that started NFL Films. But Bud declined that. But I think Hank would have been a lot better, was a lot better choice anyway because he talked a lot more than Bud Grant, who was the quiet, steely-eyed coach of the Minnesota Vikings in those days. You might have retired from football, Jan, but you haven't uh, let any grass grow under your feet. That's for sure. You've stayed very busy. What are you up to these days? Well, it's pretty quiet now. After football, I actually worked for HNTB Corporation for 20 years, HNTB Sports Architecture Division, and which was really fun. It was a great company in Kansas City. And For example, they haven't been involved in several years now, but of course, they were the architects of so the Raiders' new stadium in Vegas. We also did the, the 49er Stadium and the Truman uh, Sports Complex. Kivit Myers emerged with HNTV. They were the architects of that phenomenal complex. So I did that for 20-some years and retired from that. And uh, I'm trying to hang on to my golf game. It used to be fairly decent, but I'm slipping a little bit. Uh, I have a hard time breaking 80, <laughs> which, is, which is not very good. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I'm fairly busy doing very little. I don't know. It doesn't sound very good, but by the time you, you know, answer emails and text messages and, and do certain things, it seems like there's not a never a boring day. Yeah, well, you, you say that, but you're also still actively involved in, you, you and a, a group of other former Kansas State Chiefs, you come back to the Kansas City area and you help support the nonprofits in the area and you're very involved in that. So tell us about those efforts. It's a, really a, a great group that was founded by... Uh, I think I know that Buck Buchanan and Bobby Bell and uh, Walter White had a lot to do with this. And, and Carl Peterson was also very instrumental in the group called the Ambassadors. And there are people that stayed in Kansas City mainly. There are some from out of town too. And we do have meetings almost once a month. And the purpose is to raise money for charities. That we have raised several hundred thousand dollars a year. And 
some of the recipients of the money that we raise in, in, a, in an auction and the golf tournament. I know Camp Quality, which is a great place for kids that have suffered from cancer illnesses and uh, Ronald McDonald houses and a lot of uh, organizations around town that uh, particularly they can help young people. And it's also, for us, it's also fun for former players that range from people that played in my era until people that recently retired. And it's fun to really meet these guys too. Some of the young guys that I just saw their names for years and years, and I get them to be around them and all of them. are really nice young men and they care. And it's, we, we have a lot of fun. In addition to doing something important and help people, it's fun for us to get together as well. Yes, I imagine that it is. You know, talking about the current players and, and some of the younger players, what gets you most excited these days about our Chiefs team? Well, it starts from the top. The organization is such a quality organization. It always has been. And and our head coach, Andy Reid, is such a special man. And I have to say, Mahomes is the, is the most exciting player maybe I've ever seen. They tempered him a little bit this year for a while, but my goodness, he is absolutely phenomenal. That's why the list goes on and on. Of course, I'm proud of Butker too. I think he's an excellent kicker and a really fine young man. And uh, a lot of the players, Tyreek Hill, my goodness, what a star. And Kelsey, of course, I can, the list go on and on. I shouldn't really mention any, but Patrick Mahomes, I just barely met the young man, but he is remarkable, not only on the field, but also off the field. And he is a, just a phenomenal young man. And that's so important, I think, that the people that on the field representing the Kansas City Chiefs in the city, it seems like they're really fine young men. And it really makes me proud to say that I was part of the Chiefs for a long time and that, that these young men are handling everything so extremely well. And I also think that Andy Reid has something to do with that. Of course, all these people come from different backgrounds, and they, I'm very proud, very proud of the young men and proud to have been for Kansas City for as long as I was. Well, Jan, we're very proud of everything that you've contributed to the city, uh, what you accomplished during your playing days, and the way you continue to give of your time and invest in Kansas City. Thank you so much for everything. Well, it's absolutely been my pleasure. I'm, I'm been very blessed. It's been a lot of fun, and I'm very glad that I chose Kansas City. I had a, had a choice to make about 55 years ago, and it worked out. It was more fun for me than anybody else that I that I have been around over the years. This is Joe Close, president of Country Club Bank. Thank you to Jan Sinerud for being our guest on this episode of Banking on KC. When we think about hometown ambassadors, Hall of Famer Jan Stenerud certainly embodies the role. His three field goals helped lift the Chiefs to their first Super Bowl win in 1967 and put Kansas City in the international spotlight. As a Country Club Bank associate, he opened personal and business accounts for many Kansas Cityans, introducing them to a banking partner that cared about their financial future. Even today, he continues working to lift Kansas Cityans through his involvement with a group of former Chiefs players who do fundraising for local nonprofits. Most of all, Jan exemplifies the winning spirit that continues to carry Kansas City forward. We're banking on you, Kansas City. Country Club Bank, member FDIC. FDIC.